DJ, PK, and Michael Lev joining us. He covers the Arizona Wildcats for the Arizona Daily Star in Tucson. Michael, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? We're doing well. So we are uh, curious. We like to do the spring football tour across the schedules for the Utes, the Cougars, and the Aggies here. And we are curious. Arizona football has been down. Do you feel a bounce back coming, or is there more of the same on the way? Gosh, it's so hard to say. Um, I think that it would have been nice to have a full spring practice. That's for sure. Um, because, you know, Arizona is one of many teams across Pac-12 that brought in um, some new coaches, specifically a new defensive coordinator. So, you know, you have a new scheme. Um, you've got an entire, entirely new staff on that side of the ball. It would have been really helpful for them to, you know, get all 15 spring practices in. I mean, I don't know if people fully understand the value of those things. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Alarm's going off here. Um, The value of spring practice when you have new coaches, you know, just everyone getting to know each other, getting to know that new scheme, um, becoming familiar with it, you know, establishing um, sort of that base, heading into training camp. They got four practices in before everything got shut down. And I think that's really put kind of a a question mark um, over, you know, the entirety um, of, you know, of what the, of what this team can be, because um, the biggest problem Arizona's had really um, for several years is on that side of the ball. You know, the defense has been bottom three um, in the league, um, despite different coordinators, different schemes, different personnel. Uh, they brought in Paul Rhodes, um, former head coach at Iowa State. Everyone you know, loves him as far as the initial impression goes, but it doesn't go any further than that because they only got those four practices in. So it's really hard to say. Yeah, I thought that was uh, something that obviously they need to address offense or defensively, I should say. And Rhodes brings a ton of experience when uh, you look at the defense. Uh, if no, no matter who they brought in, uh, you could argue that, well, they can't get any lower. But I think the defense can be, I don't know if they could be substantially better, but I think they can definitely be better, uh, particularly with the linebackers, because they look like they're going to be strong there. Well, I think if you look at the defense overall, you could make a case that, hey, you know, they could put out a pretty decent first unit. They have a lot of experience, um, especially, as you mentioned, um, with the linebackers. Um, Colin Senior, Tony Field, uh, Colin Schooler, Tony Field, Anthony Pandy, all heading into their senior seasons. Um, Colin Schooler and Tony Field have played every game um, since they've been here. Um, so tons of experience at that spot. Um, but overall, defensively, not a lot of depth. Um, and it's, it's a huge concern. Um, it's something that they tried to address in recruiting, but it's really hard to rely um, on freshmen, especially um, when the freshmen you're bringing in are all kind of in that three-star category or below. I mean, they brought in you know, a lot of players with impressive-looking frames, uh, who might have good long-term upside, but you know, to be able to rely on those guys to have an impact that first year, it's kind of a long shot. Um, so I think there's the makings of a decent defensive first unit, 
I think there's potential for improvement in year one, but it's going to be really hard. Um, going back to what I said earlier about Paul Rhodes, like the first, you know, kind of tenet of his program um, was he wanted to improve the tackling. It was kind of the first thing he mentioned when we met him in December. It's the first thing he mentioned um, when we talked to him in early March. Think of how hard it's going to be to, you know, implement an improved tackling program when you don't have the ability to practice, you know, or maybe the practice time is curtailed um, because there's some sort of condensed schedule implemented, um, you know, as we all figure out, you know, kind of like what, what, the, what the fall is going to look like here. So I think it's going to be extremely challenging, um, you know, no matter how good Paul Rhodes' resume is, no matter how much experience they have at the linebacking core and, and other spots throughout the defense. Obviously, Khalil Tate had a real roller coaster there. Great debut for Arizona. Had injuries, coaching change, the production wasn't as good. But the Khalil Tate Arizona story is written. Grant Gannell got to play as a freshman. Looked pretty good. Um, did some nice things. So is he is he the guy? Is there anybody else behind him, or is is it definitely Grant's job now as a sophomore? Yeah, I mean, I think he's in that position of it's his job to lose. Um, you know, they they and one of the sort of giveaways in that regard is is they um, they decide which players are made available for interviews and and in the in the few days that we did get um, with the team in early March, he was one of the guys um, that they put out there. Um, they've kind of promoted him on social media. Um, he was a huge recruit out of Texas. You know, set the state record uh, for passing yards. Um, and the history of Texas high school football, which I mean, as you guys know, is you know what you know maybe the best state there is for high school football, um, and and it's a state where they want to make uh, a lot of inroads in recruiting. So there are a lot of reasons um, for them to to place Grant Gannell in that position. He's one of those guys who doesn't have like tremendous you know physical attributes. He's not going to wow you you know, um, with his, his quote unquote arm talent, but he's got really good size. He's legit six foot six. He's really smart, um, and studious, you know, one of those, you know, gym rat type of guys. Um, he's, you know, really taken a leadership role already, um, as a sophomore, as far as organizing team activities when they could do that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, I think he's, he's poised to put up really good numbers, um, this year, and, and the fact that he did get to play last year, I think is extremely uh, beneficial. Um, he got into, I think, I want to say it's eight games, which um, mm-hmm. is, is is was really a surprising development as it was happening. But um, you know, once you sort of dug a little deeper into into how things were going um, at the quarterback position, it made a lot more sense. He had a really good uh, touchdown to interception ratio. Um, he protects the ball um, extremely well, which is something that you know Khalil Tate struggled with a big time uh, toward the end of his tenure here. And when you have a defense like we mentioned at the beginning, um, you know that's been struggling for a long time, you know one of the ways that you can help that unit out is by keeping the ball, protecting the ball, um, doing those sorts of things on offense. You can play, um, you know, what Coach Sumlin would refer to as complementary football. I don't want to go too crazy here, but if I compare freshman, 
season to freshman season, I see a little bit of Justin Herbert in this kid. Ooh, that's an interesting one. Um, I've I've heard I've heard that comp, um, and I think it was Brandon Schooler um, who might have made it. Uh, Brandon Schooler is Colin Schooler's brother, uh, grad transfer here from Oregon. So, you know, if anyone would know, you know, it would be him. Um, I think that uh, Justin Herbert is a little more physically gifted. Um, he's got a little bit better mobility, although Grant Gannell's mobility, I think, is better than people think. Um, I think he's got a stronger arm. Um, but to me, maybe the common trait between them is they both, they're both really have good demeanors about them. They're calm. Um, they're quiet, yet they're good leaders at the same time. Um, and, I mean, a big part of playing that position is, you know, the poise that you have under pressure. And Grant Gannell was thrown into some really sticky situations last year, like, you know, playing you know, the second half on the road at USC um, with a huge deficit and taking a lot of hits, bouncing back up from those and, and you know, still delivering the football um, down the field. I think that was a really um, encouraging sign. He's worked really hard, um, you know, to improve, you know, those physical aspects of his game. Um, but to me, the mental part is bigger. You know, um, it's Khalil Tate, who, who you guys brought up, has all the physical gifts in the world, um, but never really developed into a true, you know, capital Q quarterback um, during his time here. Um, I think Grant Gannell can do that. Um, through you know through his intangibles, through his work ethic, you know through his his uh, his poise out on the football field. Michael Lev joining us. He covers the Arizona Wildcats for the Arizona Daily Star in Tucson. Uh, much as we've seen a quarterback, do you think it's going to be kind of the smooth handoff at running back, J.J. Taylor, uh, all done? And Tate was the second leading rusher, actually. But Gary Brightwell's played quite a bit, averaged almost six yards a carry. Is it him? Is it somebody else? I think that it's their deepest position. Um, I think that Gary Brightwell's, you know, kind of the leader in the clubhouse as far as, um, you know, being the main guy. But even with J.J. Taylor here last year, you know, they rotated quite a bit at uh, that position, and I think they will continue to do so. Um, like I said, a lot of depth there. Um, they really like a lot of the younger guys. Michael Wiley is sort of a uh, hybrid-type player, someone who can – who can uh, line up in the slot and catch the ball out of the backfield. Nathan Tilford, um, who will be, I think, a junior this upcoming season, uh, maybe a redshirt junior. Um, he uh, is a little bit bigger, taller back, who's impressed every time he's gotten a chance um, to touch the ball. Bam Smith is another guy who um, is really adept at catching the ball out of the backfield. Gary Brightwell, um, you know, legit 4-3 type speed um, if he breaks out um, um, into the clear. And they're also bringing in a couple of freshmen, too, um, who play that position. One of them um, is from the state of Oregon, Jalen John, who on film reminds me a lot of Tilford, kind of a a bigger, um, more physical back. And then this kid named Frank Brown Jr. from the Houston area, who's probably the fastest uh, of the bunch. Um, Legit breakaway speed. Another guy who can line up in the slot and catch balls out of the backfield, which is 
which is something that um, Noel Mazzoni really likes in his system. Um, you know, I think with, with Grant Canella quarterback that you're going to see a different style of offense, you know, a lot less of the zone read type of plays. Um, I think, you know, more passing of the football. And I think those running backs are going to be uh, deeply involved um, in the passing game. The one start, um, the first start that Grant Canella made, the game that he played from beginning to end against UCLA, I want to say he had 44 passing attempts in that game. Um, I think that's the type of offense um, you're going to see. The player that Noel compared Grant to was Brock Osweiler. And if you remember, um, you know, those ASU teams from back in the day, there was a lot of, a lot of A, passing the football, to B, you know, a lot of short, quick passes. And, and I think that running back core is going to be very involved in that. So someone's going into, what, his third year, if I'm correct here, uh, has yeah. been underwhelming as far as that goes. And, you know, we hear Kyle Whittingham, he just preaches it on and on and on about how you need to recruit and good players make good coaches and all that stuff. Uh, so how is the recruiting going for someone? I think it's been okay. Uh, I think on the surface that, People are probably disappointed with the overall results because, you know, the kind of the idea of bringing him in here was, you know, you're, you're going to get significantly better recruiting than what you had with the previous regime. I think if you can point to one, you know, downfall for Rich Rodriguez, who, you know, he had five winning seasons out of six years here, that he didn't recruit uh, to the level that he needed to to sustain success. You know, over the long haul, um, they produced you know, barely any uh, NFL draft picks um, during his time here. You know, it averages you know maybe one a year, and, and that player usually was picked in the fifth round or later. Um, someone came in with a reputation as one of the best recruiters in the nation. Um, it's been tough, though. Uh, it's a, he's he's discovered that it's a lot harder to recruit to Arizona uh, than it is to recruit to Texas A&M. Um, you know, they haven't brought in you know, many players who are higher uh, than three stars, but um, they have done a, a good job of finding some hidden gems. You know, uh, for example, um, Keon Bars, a defensive tackle from uh, Southern California who many people thought was going to be uh, a non-qualifier, um, you know, through the connections that the coaching staff had. Um, they discovered him. They brought him in. He looks like someone who's going to step in and start um, this season. Uh, Christian Roland Wallace, uh, they, they won a recruiting battle for him with USC. He looks like he's going to be you know, a staple in the secondary uh, for years to come. Uh, offensive tackle Jordan Morgan is another guy that USC was interested in. Um, he's from a town called Marana that's uh, right nearby here in Tucson. He looks like um, you know, he's the type of athlete. Um, who eventually could develop into an NFL player um, along the offensive line. Um, so there's plenty of examples like that to be found um, in these recruiting classes. The ratings, the rankings uh, are not what people were hoping for, uh, but he's a big believer um, in you know recruitment and development and feels like you know, he's got the types of athletes that he wants in place. Now it's just a matter of the results, and I think – you know, I think he and, and other coaches who are on the quote-unquote hot seat heading into this upcoming season might 
get a break uh, in a way uh, because of the you know the whole coronavirus situation and the impact that it's going to have on the budgets of these um, college programs. Um, I think that uh, schools are going to be much less likely to fire coaches if they have to pay big buyouts, you know, given the financial crunches that they're under. So the honeymoon might get extended a little bit longer uh, for Kevin Sumlin here, you know, regardless of the results. Um, you know, if they go, if, if there's a, a full season and they go something like two and ten, you know, that's a different conversation. But if they can get back up into that 500 range, sneak into a bowl, um, you know, I, I think he's going to be okay. So I think in most of the stuff I've read, it's been some order of Utah, USC, and ASU at the top. USC basically number one, and then either ASU or Utah, two, three. And then the bottom three, UCLA is usually fourth, and then Arizona, Colorado, five and six. Do you see Arizona getting out of the bottom half of the Pac-12 South? I don't think it's inconceivable. Um, I, I don't think – I don't envision this team – um, winning the division, um, I, I think you know based on talent alone, uh, USC has to be the favorite. I mean, they've got a ton of guys coming back, a really good quarterback. You know, there's still, of course, questions about the coaching staff, and you know the fans have. Well, I've never seen a fan base turn on a coach to the degree that USC's fan base has turned on Clay Helton. But you know, they did bring in a new defensive coordinator. Um, and the administration, uh, their vote of confidence in him has to mean something. Um, so on talent, on paper, I think USC definitely um, is the team to beat. Um, Arizona State uh, also brings back a really young, impressive quarterback, but they did lose a lot um, in the meanwhile. And, and record-wise, they've been okay under Herm Edwards. I mean, I think the expectations that people had were so low uh, that's kind of skewed what the actual – you know, results have been. Utah's always good um, under Kyle Whittingham, like you mentioned, but, you know, probably loses more to uh, the pros than any program um, in the conference this upcoming year. So, you know, I think expectations are a little lower from them. Can Arizona, you know, crack that top three and knock any of those teams down? Maybe. Um, I, I don't have a ton of faith in their ability to do that. Um, after you know going four and eight this past season, I mean, I, to me the bar is set somewhere around six and six. You know, if they can get if they can get to six and six with the schedule that they have and get into a bowl game, that would represent progress, regardless of where you know they fall in the pecking order um, in the Pac-12 South. Hey, what was the reaction in Tucson to that HBO thing with Sean Miller? You know, I think that most people around here um, still have faith in Sean Miller. They don't believe that you know he did anything that was nefarious, um, any more so than any other college coach. And you know, and they, and they'll continue to believe that until you know some sort of smoking gun is produced. And even though. You know, they had the tape that they played toward the end um, of that documentary. There was still no direct link between, you know, Sean Miller and this idea that, you know, he ordered or made payments for players to come to Arizona. So I think that, you know, even though the documentary, um, you know, 
implicated Arizona uh, among several schools uh, being involved in this so-called scheme that uh, people are still loyal to Sean. If there's any criticism that the fans have um, towards Sean um, these days, it, it has a lot more to do with the performance uh, of the team on the court uh, than it does you know, anything that came out of that documentary. Um, you know, I, I don't cover basketball uh, for a paper, but I mean, I do follow it um, extremely closely because you know, I like to, to keep up with what's going on and just looking at the social media reactions you know, after they would lose a game that you know people thought that they maybe shouldn't i mean there's a lot of criticism of him um and you know we would get a lot of pushback um you know for our writers would if if we ever sort of criticized sean but apparently it's okay for the tent to do so um and they they have done so um quite a bit um it's sort of like the comparison i would make is to usc football which i used to cover uh, before i came here they recruit at such a high level that it would raise the expectations um, for the fan base to, to unrealistic levels. And, and, and when you compare their recruits to the other recruits in the league, you can never understand why they wouldn't just win uh, the conference every single year. I think Arizona fans feel the same way about the basketball program here because they're always bringing in these guys who end up being first-round draft picks. The challenge, the hard part about that, though, is there's so much turnover. And it's, it's difficult to, you know, sustain success from year to year when you're basically rebuilding the roster. And a lot of people think that, you know, maybe Sean should, should change his tactics um, in recruiting and try to build a team a different way. It's hard, though, you know, to turn away um, these five-star recruits when they want to come to your school. So um, that's kind of where things are at with Sean Miller. I think among the fans, um, you know, they're they're much um, they're much more concerned about the performance on the court um, than anything that came out in the courts uh, and in that documentary. Just win, baby. Al Davis got it right a long time ago, and he wasn't talking college <laughs> hoops, but he was right anyway. That's right. All right. Well, that's we right. Pr- that's all anyone that's all anyone cares about around here. Michael, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us for a few minutes. Hey, thank you, guys. Michael Lev covers the Arizona Wildcats for the Arizona Daily Star in Tucson. Our spring football tour, DJ and PK, brought to you in part by Syringa Networks, home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. In sports, we want to get our sports back. So importantly, these will be some separate calls. The NBA, Adam Silver, Major League Baseball, Rob Manford, thank you very much. NFL, Roger Goodell, thank you, Roger. UFC, Dana White, NHL, Gary Bettman. From the New England Patriots, Bob Kraft, Dallas Cowboys, Jerry Jones, Dallas Mavericks, Mark Cuban. 
President Donald Trump saying Tuesday he's enlisting help from all sectors of the American commerce, the medical field, elected office, the sports world, among others, to help shape his plans to reopen the coronavirus-battered economy. And he named a lot of uh, commissioners there. Jerry Jones, Robert Kraft are going to have input as well. The question is when, PK. We could literally talk about it every day, but we don't know. (laughs) what's it gonna be today yeah i'm just irritated that he doesn't have uh georgia frontieri there or uh bob bidwell why all this dallas stuff jerry jones mark cuban come on man what's the dallas bias they need to to win texas is that it yes he does need to win texas (laughs) as a matter of fact yes but I think he's got personal relationships with uh, with Jerry. I think personal relationship with Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft. He's he's known them for a long time. I don't know what the deal is with Cuban, how uh, or why. I don't know. I don't know what the tie Shark is there. Shark Tank. Shark Tank. He watches Shark Tank, know. so that's it. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> You're fired. Yeah, fired. <laughs> and of course, we bring up well, the question about restarting sports all the time because there are constantly stories about it. The Chinese Basketball Association announced they've decided to postpone things until July. They stopped playing January 24th. They wanted to restart April 15th, but that's a no-go. So now they're looking at least July. Of course, we're all waiting to see what the NBA does. Are they going to go to Vegas in July or August? Arizona's governor says the state is willing to host all 30 major league teams. But he does point out at the time that it would be appropriate for public health. But obviously with economies everywhere, state economies everywhere getting battered by this, chance to bring in 30 teams, fill hotels, restaurants, uh, just feeding the teams, even if there's no fans, that would be a plus. So I guess any governor had the chance would embrace that. And they've got spring training parks and a major league park. And uh, so there's opportunity there for them. Maybe they can pull that off. Even if it's just uh, a one-month tournament or something at some point. At this point, we take anything. Yeah, we really would take anything, and I would like to see them do something along those lines as long as the medical folk and all those people who know what they're talking about give it some form of an okay, even if it's without the fans or limited number, whatever it might be, just for the sake of our well-being. And, and, you know, it's easy for me to say uh, go there and be isolated from your family for four months or a month or whatever. I don't have to do it, so obviously – don't sweat off my back. I'm going to see. I don't have a big family, but the one or two that I see every day, I'm going to continue to see them. Uh, but I would like to see them maybe take one for the team, so to speak. And I think Drew Brees said that that we need sports now. This country needs it. And I, I wrote about that last week. I really feel like sports matter more than ever. No, the results don't matter, but just the fact that the guys and gals would be out there doing their thing, whatever that might be, would be. I think it would be a morale boost for us as a country. And so I would like to see that. In, in a related note, or I, yeah, somewhat related. We didn't we didn't discuss this earlier, but I thought we should. Um, that uh, the Allegiant Stadium in Vegas was saying, you know, if this situation causes the stadium to be delayed and there is an NFL season, there an NFL preseason, you know, one of the places they looked at was Salt Lake as far as staging a Raider game. And they looked at uh, California and Arizona, too. I don't think they should go there. If there's any way possible, man, if I'm Vegas, I try to, to include Utah, the state of, which obviously includes the Wasatch Front, into its marketing campaign any way that it can because that just seems like that's a potential moneymaker. I know the Rockies tried it, but that 
that's that's a long ways away, and three hours more probably, depending on where you're coming from. Uh, and football's a once a week deal, and that would be great. I think they should. I think they should do it anyway. Play have a have a a practice or, or a preseason game here down the line. Try try to get your foot in the door in the in the Utah market. Why not? I mean, you look at the Rockies; they they go surrounding states. You know, the Wyoming it's it's much closer, just two hours away up to Cheyenne. But still, they're they're promoting as a regional thing. That would be cool if the Raiders would do that. Uh, when I saw the three cities, I thought two of them made sense. I was surprised that Phoenix got thrown in there. Obviously, they got the facilities in that, but I just can't imagine the Cardinals would be crazy about that. But maybe they would. Maybe they want to rent out the stadium and make some money because, again, back to what I was saying with baseball, everybody's got a budget hole they're trying to fill. So maybe financially they do it. But if they're going to Salt Lake or San Diego, there's no NFL teams there, so I thought that would be simpler. I saw a lot of people in Salt Lake react to that. There's a lot of people who would absolutely welcome two preseason Season games or regular season games if they could play them. Uh, the problem with going to California is the governor came out and said he doesn't see any mass gatherings. Now, maybe the NFL would be playing without fans. I don't know. So in that case, they could go there. The feedback I saw from people in San Diego was they thought it was hilarious that the Chargers would have to go play a road game in San Diego because obviously you play home and home in the division and the Raiders are in the division. And so there was a lot of people thinking that would be hilarious. Um, and, and it's not a done deal. They still might be able to get the stadium done in time, and the NFL season might be pushed yeah. back. So right, they right. might be getting them all in in Vegas. And, 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 you know, if they can't play in the fall, if college football and the pros can't start in the fall, then that just gives them more time to get that Vegas stadium done. Yeah, but but irregardless of that, I'm talking about promoting the Raiders oh, yeah, I as get being it. a yeah. regional team. Yep. And, and the Vegas market is smaller, and so if you can grab some more fans from an area that doesn't have an NFL team, it makes sense. And you're right. It's, it's, uh, I think it's eight hours-ish to Denver, but depending on where you're in the Wasatch Front, it's five or six to Vegas. And they've got the weather thing going for them, too. They're, they're further south. They've got better weather, so people are looking at an excuse to go down there. I mean, it makes sense for the Raiders, but it makes sense for Vegas. They're going to need to fill hotel rooms. And you go down there, and, you know, at some point, golf will be back, and shows will be back, and restaurants will be back. And so it makes sense for the Raiders. It makes sense for Vegas. So what can they do? Um, do something. You know, I've, I've got a couple people I know down in St. George, and uh, you've got some people you know in St. George, too. And, and that falls within that 150 mile, and apparently just barely, too. Just barely. But it falls, is it 120 miles, 150 miles, whatever. There's some, there's some distance the NFL considers it your area. So the St. Saint, Saint George is literally part of the Raiders market. And so from radio stations in Vegas to selling season tickets and uh, stuff, uh, they're hitting that area. But, but you're right. People from Provo and, and Salt Lake and Davis County and the whole Wasatch Front Beaver. flock down there. Yes. Don't forget. Only Fillmore out, and Scipio's going to pack that place. So, go to town. PGA Tour planning. I mean, be, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I know that what you're going to say is is a PGA Tour. As you're going to get to that, I, I think it's a it's another boost if they can pull it off, and you can explain the details. So, the PGA Tour is planning on resuming action July 11 to 14. That would be three months to the day when they suspended play. They're looking at coming back at Fort Worth, Texas. The Colonial Country Club hosts the Charles Schwab Challenge. And no, they're looking at uh, playing with no fans at the beginning. And then they've got the whole tour mapped out. And it's some of it is the tour as 
it was originally planned. And then some events, uh, the event in Canada is not going to happen, so they plug something in there. The U.S. Open has moved, so they're looking to pl- plug in something in there. The British Open isn't going to happen, so they're looking to plug in another tour stop in there. Golf Digest ran sources. Uh, tour officials met with some uh, players. I mean, they don't, they don't have a union because they're contract, but the, it's kind of the concept. And so they're running some of this past the players and you know trying to iron out all these details. And so there is a proposed schedule. It could still be tweaked, but Golf Digest had it. It was out on social media last night. That's where I saw a link to their story. And uh, they, they got it all mapped out, but it was pretty clear that A... It's in flux. This is not written in stone. This is definitely written in pencil, not in pen. Um, they'll start without fans. And then even going forward, depending on where they're playing and hotspots and all that, there might be, you know, one week they have fans, the next week they have limited fans, the next week they don't have any at all again. So that'll, that'll kind of be hit and miss and figured out along the way. But it's a TV property, and for some of the sponsors, that generates quite a bit of money. They probably get creative with sponsorships and signage. We could have Bob Casper or Brian Taylor on. They do Real Golf Radio Saturday mornings. I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, the tee boxes start looking a little different and they try to pick up sponsors who aren't, you know, they're not going to have the, depending on the tournament, you know, 30,000 to 100,000 to Phoenix has obviously already been played for this year, but you know, they have 200,000 people there. Uh, so you're losing out some of, some of it, you know, what you sign up for as a corporate sponsor is getting those people to see your stuff and, and, you know, interact and you build your brand with them. So maybe they'll make it up to them on the TV side a little bit. Could, it could look more like the European tour. If you ever get up and watch that early in the morning. Fun. Right. Exactly. We're not quibbling over that now be very little of that so Cincinnati dropped men's soccer that's just one school one sport but there's clearly a lot of financial distress on the horizon Uh, the group of five the five conference commissioners that make up the group of five have asked the NCAA to relax requirements to compete in division one for division one for four years minimum number of sports uh, get a waiver there on attendance and really I think the big question here is what can be done to prevent sports from being dropped I don't think anybody likes the way that sounds, the way that feels. There's only two sports making money, and that's football and men's basketball. Depending on where you go, a UConn basketball, a Utah gymnastics, uh, there's some schools in the SEC that do really well with baseball. There's a handful of other sports around the country. But they're basically break-even propositions, and it's only at those sports for a few, a handful of schools at the top so everybody else could drop it, and then when everyone left to compete with. So what are they going to do from reducing, reducing coaching salaries? Uh, Oregon State, Washington State, Wake Forest, all announced moves are kind of trickling out at other schools as well. Can they cut back on recruiting budgets? Can they cut back on out-of-state scholarships to save some money? Some sports probably can. Some sports have probably already done that. Um, what can they do to prevent mass layoffs and the dropping of lots of teams and lots of sports. Yeah, I'd like to see what they do with, like, the Mountain Sports Federation. You know, not that many programs have men's volleyball, for example. I think it's in the 20s across the country. So they've created their own conference, basically, and call it a federation. And it's out of the traditional conference that most of, if not all, the rest of the sports are in. So something along those lines, so you don't have these crazy travel situations here. And you can recall, remember when San Diego State was in the Big East 
and they played Georgetown and water polo. I mean, my gosh, that was outrageous. Never came to that. Boise State and San Diego State, that was all a faint. <laughs> they zig left and they zag right. Boise State got their better deal. Uh, the Mountain Pacific Sports Federation does exist in a lot of sports for schools where, you know, there just aren't enough. So uh, they do stuff, I think, uh, I think they do stuff for men's soccer, uh, water polo. They've done a lot of stuff over the years. Uh, you can Google and find it, all that. But there are still leagues sponsoring sports that require a lot of travel. I mean, Pac-12 teams are flying all over the place. And I do think there are sports. Uh, you look at the Utah men's tennis roster. They have uh, one player from Utah. Look at the BYU volleyball roster, men's volleyball. They have a one player from Utah. You know, out now at private schools it gets different, but in state schools, the state schools, out-of-state tuition is way more expensive. So it's much more of a burden on the athletic department when they bring kids in from out-of-state. And obviously that helps you compete. You know, there are a lot of states that want to go get kids out of California and Texas and Florida, regardless of what the sport is, just because there's so many people and there's so many athletes in those states. But there's no doubt that that's pressure on the athletic department. It doesn't matter if your Arizona school's recruiting in Texas or Utah school's recruiting in California or Nevada school's recruiting in California. Uh, that, that is pressure on an athletic department. And we've already talked with coaches and ADs about, you know, the, the recruiting trips, uh, how expensive those get, um, flying coaches all over the country and flying teams all over the country to play games. How much can they save there? Just rescheduling stuff. But you know what they need to do, then create a rule that you can only recruit in your state and states that adjoin you. So that means ASU, it's okay for you to recruit California, but Utah, you can't. You follow me? Oh, yeah. (laughs) That would go over really well. Congratulations, Utah. You can recruit (laughs) Reno and Las Vegas. And if you find somebody in Elko, he's all Colorado. (laughs) Colorado. Wyoming. Idaho. Bring it on. You got plenty of states. Arizona, but you cannot recruit California. Sorry. That's our jurisdiction. Kyle Whittingham drops head, sobs softly. <laughs> well, he retires. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna go recruit Hawaii. I'm out. <laughs> gonna recruit a wave. And then another one, and then a pool, and then another wave. Well, we'll let everybody recruit. We'll let everybody recruit Hawaii since they're not surrounded by anything. <laughs> Hawaii and Alaska—that's a one-off right there. Yeah. All right, those are some of the headlines we've been talking about today. DJ and PK, we are brought to you in part by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram in Sandy. Find your deals online at lhmdeals.com. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. Question of the day. Songs with a woman's name in it. Give me the classics. What do you want to hear? Richard says, Michelle, The Beatles. Beatles got a lot of <sighs> Beatles got a lot of shout outs this morning. Steve Clowkey must have hated it. He yeah. probably turned the show off. They, they, they were pretty good back in their time, I understand. <laughs> I had a gal when I was uh, just graduated college, and she claimed I fathered a son with her, and I kept telling her it's just not true. Her name was Billie Jean, and she was not my lover. She's just a girl who claims that I was the one. But Dave, the kid is not my son. <laughs> David says, man, I feel like a woman by Shania Twain. Doesn't doesn't have a woman's name in it. He just likes the song. You, meanwhile. (laughs) This is 
is a great tune. Yeah. Come on, you're tapping. I am. Go. All right, there's there's Michael. Hey, Aerosmith's getting a shout-out. Aerosmith fans, Janie's got a gun. It's a happy, mm. upbeat little number. Unless your daughter's named Jamie, then you're a little nervous. It's Janie, not Jamie. <laughs> I know. But if your daughter's named Jamie and she has a gun, you're still nervous. Okay. <laughs> and then, of course, there's that people want us to put to music, and we should get Johnny, Johnny Lightfoot, on this. Uh, you don't sound like a Debbie. No, nah, I don't think we need to do that. <laughs> hey, Wilson Pickett nah, got get, a shout out. Mustang get Johnny on that. No, nah, don't do that. Mustang I'll make a phone call. Van <laughs> Morrison, Gloria. And her name is G L O R I S A. The attention deficit disorder is taking over. We got like three songs going at once. All right. Hans and Scotty are coming up next. We will see you tomorrow right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.